This is the podcast by the Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by the Straits Times, where we analyze the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host Audrey Tan, and I cover science and environment for the Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty. Hi, I'm David, and I'm the climate change editor at the Straits Times. It is the 3rd of November and the Green Pulse team is in Glasgow to cover COP26, one of the most important climate change conferences in years. Nations gathering here are negotiating a deal that can help put the world on the right track to avoiding the worst impacts of climate change. And nowhere is this more keenly felt than in the small island states, which contribute least to the problem but are facing threats such as sea level rise. Today we have with us the President of Palau, Mr. Surangal Whips Jr., Palau, as well as Singapore, are both members of AOSIS, the Alliance of Small Island States. Thank you, and uh, it is indeed a, a pleasure uh, to be able to speak to your audience about the challenges that we have as small island states uh, that we share, because in Singapore we share uh, the same situation. Indeed. So I was hoping maybe you can start by telling us a bit more about AOSIS. So AOSIS stands for the Alliance of Small Island States. What do you think are its key aims at this year's conference? Well, I think number one is uh, to make sure that we uh, live up and, and, and you know, finalize the rule book that we were supposed to from the Paris Agreement. I mean, that's, that's, that's I think, the first thing. The other thing is we need to make sure that that target of 1.5 is met. And I think the, the other important things are uh, our financing for climate mitigation and climate adaptation. Those are the main, I think, the main issues that we face. And I can go into the details of how each one of those impacts us as small islands. First of all, we can start with um, uh, the 1.5. If we don't stay below 1.5, there are islands that will be gone. And those islands that are gone have cultures, they have languages, they have people. And you know, I've heard people talk about the talk about, well, we'll just move those people on those islands to, let's say, Arkansas or somewhere in Australia. And we'll call them a country inside a country. What's going to happen to those people? So we need people to understand how the reality of where we are and where we need to go. Change needs to happen. Action needs to happen now. There's no, no, no more critical time than now. And, and what we need to work toward, and what Oasis wants, is that 50% carbon emission reduction by 2030. Why is that so important? It's about flattening the curve to minimize that impact. And, uh, you know, uh, no country, no people deserve to be eliminated, right? We should not have to read about them in a book, like the dinosaurs, right? And in our island, we're fortunate. We have some high islands, but we have nine that'll be gone. Those people, those cultures on those islands, those languages, gone. Not acceptable. We need to do everything we can to fight and to do our part. Not so much to fight, but to work together to do take those actions, whether it's eating more vegetables and eating, being a vegetarian, not eating so much meat, right? That's what we can do on an individual level to drive less gas guzzling cars and go more electric. 
That's what it's all about. It's about everybody doing their part. And of course, large countries encouraging renewable energy and then providing that finance that's so critical. But it's the finance and the technology side, right? You know, I think many times we operate in silos and this country's got this technology and maybe they don't want to share it. We need to share because just like the what we've had to face with COVID, we had to all get together to solve this problem. That's why we can have this COP is because of the world getting that. Otherwise, we all be in lockdown. We can't go forward in lockdown. We have to survive. Uh, our people in Palau were fortunate that today we're 99% of the people over age of 12 are vaccinated. We haven't had any COVID spread in our community. We've had imported cases, but that's it. Caught at the border and protected. That's drastic action. We had to close our borders, uh, adjust our testing and do all that. But we had to do it because there was an imminent threat. The problem with climate change is we don't think it's imminent. We think it's, you know, it's coming up an inch this year. It doesn't matter. It's just an inch. But it's a slow death. And that's why I use the example at the opening of our session of our, our, our ports are being overrun with water. Our farms are being inundated with water. Our crops are being destroyed. Our, our infrastructure is being damaged with landslides. Our fish are leaving. Our, our, our corals are dying and our jellyfish dis are disappearing, which are all part of this whole ecosystem that we're losing. And so there's a very important link between the climate and the ocean. And we need to work together with the largest emitters to take action to make sure that we don't go to the point where we all disappear and we can't survive. And that's why I, I use the example of what we're experiencing now is torture. Do not continue to torture us. Take action because you might, if you, because this long extended torture will only kill us in the end. You might as well bomb us now and end it all, right? And that's drastic, but that's, that's how important it is that we need to take action. We can't wait any longer. So you've spoken a little bit about how climate change is affecting your country. And obviously those impacts are quite sort of life or death, really. So obviously the future projections must be quite frightening for your country and, and many other uh, small island states. Maybe you just tell us a little about how you see the future projections. And, and actually that future is not so far away, really. I mean, we're already seeing the very serious impacts now. So it's not a, it's not a far away issue. Yeah, like for us, they're saying 40% of our fish stocks will be gone by 2100, right? That's a serious part of our economy that we're being robbed of because of climate change, right? On the tourism sector, people come to Palau to see the beautiful coral reefs and the jellyfish. Well, with the droughts and the heat, the bleaching affects that, that affects our tourism. Important, our largest source of, of revenue are so important to our economy now. And then of course, all the damage to infrastructure and homes one of the problems we have is the storms. Like Singapore, we're very close to the equator. We didn't used to get typhoons. Now they're frequent and the winds are stronger. Our homes, especially the most vulnerable, we're not built to take those storms. Now they, you know, one island, the wind came in, took out every home, gone. Uh, that was in 2013. Another one came and every home along the coast, gone because the large waves just came in and took them out. Last one that came through, 
we were, if the wind moved 15 degrees north, our hospital would have been gone because unfortunately, 30 years ago, the planners thought, great site next to the ocean, beautiful views. Yeah, wrong place to have a hospital, especially when it's all on one floor, right? But I mean, those are the real challenges that we have. So we know that it's coming. We need to prepare for it. And that's why it's so important for adaptation. But we need to do all we can to mitigate. And, and that starts with the largest emitters changing their behaviors, going renewable, helping small lines also go renewable, but then also providing the finance that we can adapt, right? So if we need to raise our docks another foot higher or two feet higher, because that's what 1.5 is going to do, let's do that. But let's make sure that it doesn't go to two meters or three meters, right? That's, that's, that's what we're hoping. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. So, uh, Mr. Whips, you mentioned a bit about the importance of mitigation. So maybe you can share with us, I mean, now we are still in the first week of the COP26 talks. What is your reading on the ground? Do you feel that other countries, especially the developed nations, are feeling this sense of urgency to boost ambition, to hit, to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels? So... I think the first uh, good thing is that at least the United States is back at the table and they're acting responsibly because I think that's the biggest concern that we have as small islands is the largest emitters are not at the table and not taking action. We'd like to see China here. I don't see them here. We'd like to see Russia here, right? They need to be here because we're all in this together. I know India has announced that they'll be carbon neutral by 2070. Well, we can say that's not acceptable, but at least... They're trying. And I think that's all we want of the world is that everybody's got to try. Some, some countries may can be, can be 100%, right? Earlier, let's encourage them. Those that are falling behind, let's figure out ways to help them along. And that's why it's so important that we, the whole world gets together to solve this problem. It cannot just be, I have my technology over here. I use it. I keep it in, to myself. No, it's about sharing. And so this conference is really about sharing that information, sharing the ideas and solving those problems. You know, one of the things that uh, I think that we need to also look at is climate justice. So, great. You want to continue to use carbon? You need to compensate for the damage that you're causing. Because I think if they understand the damage that they're causing, then they will make the right choice. And I know that one of the things that uh, Antigua and Tuvalu have started is looking at the climate justice issue. And how, you know, we support that. I think that's where we need to be. We need, we need the whole countries accountable. Have you yeah. seen, have you seen much traction with that? Or are the wealthy nations sort of worried that they might be hit with compensation claims or liability claims? Or? Well, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a way to help them understand the responsibility and hold them accountable. I think that's really what's most important. You know, we can, we need to understand that what the actions that we take are impacting others. So if, if you want to continue to live that way, then you need to be responsible to pay for the fish that you're, you're, you're causing the loss of, to pay for the economies you're destroying, pay for the homes you destroy, pay for the islands that are going under. Make sure that, they, you know, Tuvalu has an idea. Let's dredge and, and build up, you know. Well, 
I mean, if that's the choice you want to make, then you need to be responsible to help uh, mitigate and help those uh, islands adapt to them. So, I mean, you mentioned adaptation. So climate finance to help uh, developing countries and small island states adapt to the impacts of climate change is also a big issue at this year's COP. Mm. Um, recently, we heard from Japan that it's increasing its climate finance uh, contribution so what do you think of, of the situation so far? Do you think developed countries are really willing to cough up the cash of $100 billion? Yeah, so, you know, it's important because, you know, before this conference, we were at $66 billion, And now they're saying by 2022, we're going to reach the $100 billion mark, right? But that was supposed to be 2020. So, of course, we continue to fall behind. But the encouraging thing is that, yes, maybe 2022... We're going to reach the 100 billion, and it's encouraging to hear that Japan is part of that movement. But the World Bank also has a report. What does it say? We need four trillion, right? So it's a step in the right direction. And I say at least we're stepping forward. Forward movement is important, but there's still a long ways to go. And let's not look at the four billion the trillion dollar number and say we can't do it. No, we can't. We need to chip away with it. 100 billion is a step in the right direction. Let's keep going because that's what's needed. IOSIS has long raised its concerns uh, about survival at UN climate meetings mm. for, for, for quite a long time. Yes. Um, do you feel these concerns are finally being taken seriously, you know, that they're finally being heard and taken account, account of, basically, in the negotiations? Well, this is my first conference, and um, at least coming to this conference, I felt that there's hope. There's for, and when I say that, if you see the commitments, when it comes to money, that's always hard for people to give out money. But that, that ensures us that people are beginning to understand the seriousness and they're willing to commit to what's needed. Uh, and it's going to take not just governments. It's going to take the private sector. It's going to take all, uh, everyone around the world to do their part. And I'm a, I'm a believer in hope. Uh, you have to have hope. And uh, if, if you don't have hope, you might as well just give up, right? And just be bombed and be done with it, you know? But you have to have hope. We have um, a Palauan legend that I shared at the opening uh, session, which is about a, a baby that was born. And, and the baby was born, his name is Uwab. And over his lifetime, he started out small, but he kept growing and growing until he outgrew all the houses and they had the whole village began to feed him. He got so big that he couldn't sleep. He would take up the whole island. So he had to stand up and they had to build ladders to feed him, to keep him alive. Well, soon all the fish were gone. Every resource was consumed. Next thing he wanted to do was eat the people, starting with the babies. So that night, what did the people do? They got up and said, we have to take care of this problem. So they, they got all the wood around him, set a fire, and burned him. What happened was, when he fell over, his other foot created the island of Peleliu. So there was the island of Angar where he was, created the island of Peleliu, and he created the whole island chain of Palau. His head went all the way north, and his body uh, formed the whole islands, and his insides splattered all over and created all these islands. So the message is, sometimes we have to take drastic action, right? 
for our survival, but something good can come out of it. And I think that's what, you know, the message of COP should be. It's time for us to turn the tide and come up with solutions by everybody taking their part and doing their part. I know that there can be a future that we can show our children that we took the right actions to make the change that was needed to turn this tide around and put our path uh, in, on the right direction to stay below 1.5. So I believe there's hope. Thank you so much, Mr. Whips. We also look forward to a good outcome at this COP. Well, that's a wrap for Greenhouse and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, do check out our stories in The Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.